The Daily 202 is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, February 26th. In today's news, Kim Jong-un arrives in Hanoi. India launches an airstrike inside Pakistan. And Paul Manafort's lawyers ask for their client to get less than 10 years of hard time. But first, the big idea. Justice Elena Kagan has emerged as one of the Supreme Court's most powerful voices on the separation of church and state, often rebuking her conservative colleagues for allowing government actions that she says favor one religion over another. But the last time the justices considered the fate of a religious cross constructed on public land, Kagan was on the other side of the bench and on the other side of the issue. When she was President Barack Obama's Solicitor General, Kagan successfully defended a cross in the Mojave National Preserve, convincing the court's conservatives that what she unwaveringly referred to as a war memorial should remain as a tribute to the sacrifice of World War I soldiers. There is a reboot of the issue on Wednesday. This time, Kagan is a justice. The court must decide the fate of another cross dedicated to Americans also killed during World War I. It's a massive structure on public land in Maryland, just five miles northeast of the Supreme Court. The legal battle over the Bladensburg Peace Cross could provide sharper definition to the court's murky jurisprudence over when religious symbols on public land violate constitutional prohibitions on government establishment of religion. Bob Barnes, the Post's longtime Supreme Court beat reporter, says this is one of the term's marquee cases, and he believes Kagan will play the pivotal role and offer the deciding vote. It's an intriguing spot for the 58-year-old jurist who was nominated by Obama and confirmed by the Senate in 2010 to replace retiring liberal lion John Paul Stevens. Although she is consistently on the court's left, she crosses over more often than the better-known justices Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor but she's a favorite of those who follow and practice before the court. Lawyers who argue conservative causes say she's the justice most likely to probe the weak spots of their cases. And law professors across the ideological spectrum praise her clear and often colloquial writing style. In the 2009 Mojave Cross case, Kagan showed why she was such a talented litigator. Told by the circuit court that the small cross erected decades before must come down, Kagan defended an accommodation that Congress had come up with. She explained that by swapping the land on which the cross stood in exchange for private property elsewhere on the preserve, the cross would technically be on privately held land. Thus, she argued, the constitutional problem was cured. Dennis Schramm, the superintendent of the preserve, was floored when he received a phone call saying Kagan was flying in from Washington to visit the site. Years of litigation had preceded the Supreme Court hearing, and none of the other lawyers involved, not a one, had made the trek out to Sunrise Rock. Kagan used her familiarity with the desert during her presentation to the court. This time during oral arguments, Kagan will be on the bench. And hers isn't the only interesting role reversal. Her principal deputy in the Solicitor General's office at the time, Neil Cattell, is now a private lawyer representing the Maryland Commission that owns the highway median on which the Bladensburg Peace Cross is erected. And Jeff Wall, who accompanied Kagan to the Mojave Desert back in 2009, 
is now the acting solicitor general on the case. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, after a 65-hour, 2,500-mile journey by train from Pyongyang through China, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un arrived at a red carpet reception in Vietnam on Tuesday, ahead of the summit meeting with President Trump on Wednesday. Kim got off his personal green armored train at 8.22 a.m. local time on a cold, rainy morning at the Dongdeng station shortly after crossing the Chinese border. He was greeted by Vietnamese officials, chatting briefly and smiling. He was handed a bouquet of flowers and shook hands with a long line of officials and military officers before walking past an honor guard dressed in white uniforms and black boots. Outside the station, he smiled and waved at a crowd of people carrying Vietnamese and North Korean flags. He then got into his personal Mercedes limousine. The car was surrounded by 12 bodyguards who jogged alongside it briefly before it picked up speed for the final 100 miles to Hanoi. Trump will arrive in the next few hours on Air Force One. The station where Kim arrived had been cordoned off since Monday, and soldiers and police have blocked off the area. The entire road that he took was closed from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. local time. Last summer, Kim flew to Singapore for the first summit with Trump. But North Korea prefers that its leaders stay grounded, if at all possible. The reason? Kim's father, Kim Jong-il, had a fear of flying that he passed on to his son. Number two. This one's important because both countries involved are nuclear powers. India launched an airstrike inside Pakistan overnight in an act of retaliation over a terrorist attack that killed 40 Indian paramilitary officers in Kashmir on February 14th. India's foreign secretary told reporters that the strike targeted a training camp run by Jaish-e-Mohammed, the Pakistan-based militant group that claimed responsibility for the attack earlier this month. He said a large number of militants were, quote, eliminated in the operation. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi has faced intense pressure to respond to the attack, and the airstrike will inflame tensions between the two nuclear-armed rivals, who presented differing pictures of what exactly occurred. Pakistan's military at this hour is claiming that the Indian fighter jets did indeed cross 25 miles into their airspace, and they did drop a payload, but the Pakistanis insist that it caused no damage and there were no casualties at all. They're trying to downplay the incident. Number three. Paul Manafort's lawyers urged a federal judge last night to sentence their client to less than 10 years in prison, arguing that he's been treated too harshly by special counsel Bob Mueller. The lawyers said Manafort, Trump's former campaign chairman, is presented by the government as a hardened criminal who brazenly violated the law and deserves no mercy. But they write, quote, This case is not about murder, drug cartels, organized crime, the Madoff Ponzi scheme, or the collapse of Enron. The defense says Manafort has been unduly singled out for prosecution for, quote, garden variety financial crimes and esoteric foreign lobbying disclosure violations. They noted that he was not charged with any coordination with the Russian government or individuals and the campaign. Manafort pleaded guilty to two wide-ranging conspiracy charges. They both carry a maximum sentence of 10 years. Manafort's attorneys asked for any sentences to run concurrently, in light of his age and health concerns, they write in their filing, a significant additional period of incarceration, which Mueller's team is asking for, will likely amount to a life sentence for a first-time offender. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, February 26th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.